Welcome to The Buzz, I'm Christopher Conover. The first few years of a child's life are crucial in terms of their brain development and overall educational outcomes later in life. On today's show, we take a look at quality early childhood education, why it's important, and what local groups are doing to try and make it more affordable and accessible for kids in Pima County. Melissa Barnett is an associate professor at the University of Arizona in Family Studies and Human Development. She's also the interim director of the Francis McClellan Institute for Children, Youth, and Families. She says data show that children benefit from being exposed to and participating in high-quality early childhood education programs. And when I say they benefit, I really mean in terms of being ready for school. So, and we think about ready for school in terms of learning or academic outcomes, so how they are approaching literacy and and reading, um, early math skills, as well as some of their social and behavioral skills that really help them function and be successful in the classroom. When we talk about being ready for school, and we're talking about little kids here, I think a lot of people think of just it's colors and numbers, but it sounds like it's much more than just colors and numbers. Well, that's part of it. But absolutely, just being comfortable and familiar with with language and just talking to kids in ways that really encourage their own thinking and their own language development, Um, being comfortable with what we think of as sort of pre-literacy. So recognizing letters, being excited about reading, understanding that books open up a whole new world to kids. And so that's really on the academic piece, or we think of the sort of cognitive aspects of school readiness, and then the behavioral pieces, which may in some ways be even more important. And in fact, there have been some national surveys of kindergarten teachers and sort of ask them, what do they really want to see in kids when they show up in their classroom? And although, yes, you know, knowing their numbers and colors and their letters is, is good, again and again, teachers are saying what they really want are children who understand how to behave in a classroom so they know how to take turns, wait in line, and get along with other children. So really that they come with the skills that really allow them to to learn and to benefit from being in that kindergarten classroom. When it comes to early childhood education, how do we define quality? Is it a student-teacher ratio, or what does all that mean? Yeah, so in general, we sort of think about quality as having two different kinds of components. And the first one is structural quality. The teacher-child ratios are an important component there, basic health and safety, the education and background of the teachers. And those aspects of quality are important. But we the research really shows they're necessary but not sufficient in terms of really helping children um, have pretty substantial gains to get ready for school. The other aspect of quality is what's referred to as process quality. And that's really, you know, what do you see is happening in the classroom? What are the daily interactions like for children when they're in the classroom? And so some indicators of that are the the quality of the teacher-child interactions or relationships. Are teachers responsive and supportive of children? What kind of curriculum is being used in the classroom? What kinds of learning process? Are children given opportunities to learn? Are, are teachers monitoring the skills that children have? And then Um, adjusting strategies to really help children gain new skills. And and again and again, it's those process aspects, especially the relationship between the teacher and the child, that are really um, most related to the gains that children are making in in their academic areas as well as in those social skills. There is a state ranking program for early childhood education. What are some things parents need to know about that ranking so when they're looking at a, at a, a school for their kids, they know what they're looking at? 
Yeah, so there there are um, quality first ratings, and those ratings do take into account the structural as well as the, the process um, aspects of quality that I mentioned earlier. That's a really valuable resource to parents in terms of you know trying to find quality child care for for. For children, one thing to to really look for again are what are the interactions like between the teachers and the children in the classroom, and do they really seem to be interacting in a, a supportive one-on-one way with children? Um, do children have lots of opportunities to explore in the classroom, and is there a clear structure in the classroom? So we know one of the things that children really benefit from is having a stable, consistent structure in the classroom that also allows them to maybe choose which toys they're playing with. We're talking with Melissa Barnett. She's a professor in family studies and human development. You've done studies looking at early childhood education, how it benefits parents and grandparents. How does it help? Yeah, so there are really multiple ways that parents benefit when they have access to um, high-quality, affordable early childhood care. And one of the ways is, is probably the most obvious, and that is the idea that they are then able to work full-time or pursue their own education. And so that has economic benefits for the family as well as for the, the broader society. Related to that, too, when, when it's affordable, when the, tr- the child care is affordable and parents are able to work full-time and bring in more income, then that might alleviate some of the financial stress or strain they're feeling. And we know that when you're very stressed about paying your bills, um, it's harder to be a supportive and responsive and really to participate in really high-quality parenting with your children. So there's that aspect. The other important aspect here, too, is that um, when parents have access to affordable, high-quality, stable child care, they're then less stressed about, is my child okay during the day? And so that probably makes them more productive at work, more productive in school. And again, that trickles back to then having higher-quality interactions with their children when their children are um, at home. And I think the, the other benefit, then, is what happens in the classroom. So there are two ways of thinking about that. One is that the child is in the classroom and is, is then bringing home some of those skills to the home, which may make create new conversations or new opportunities for learning that take place in the home. The other thing is there's, a, there's an opportunity, increasingly we're recognizing in research and policy, the real importance of what's considered parent or family engagement. So this idea that the early childhood educators and the parents are really working in partnership. And so that, that parents are then learning some new strategies to really work with, with children to enhance their development at home in ways that are consistent with what the children are experiencing at school. You bring up that parent engagement, be it parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, who's ever primary caregiving for kids. What are some of the things the family needs to do to, to keep that quality education moving forward through the day, be it social skills, language skills, general growth and knowledge? There are several things families can do. And I think one thing goes back to this, this idea that young children really need consistency and stability. So one of the benefits then of, of having a consistent, stable, high-quality childcare setting is that children are getting that during the day. And there's also that can structure the routine for the family. But then bringing those those consistent routines home, you know, in the mornings before school and in the evenings after school as well. And then in terms of the more um, academic kinds of, of activities, really, you know, reading with kids, talking to kids, and even if the increasingly we understand, even if the home language isn't English, that's okay. That parent, and in fact, that's great for kids to really be talking to them, singing with with them, telling them stories, um, exposing them, giving them opportunities to learn new things in their home language, whatever that might be. That was Melissa Barnett with the University of Arizona's Francis McClelland Institute for Children, Youth, and Families.
We now turn to Penelope Jacks. She's the committee chair for Strong Start Tucson, a group of early childhood advocates who want to change the fact that only 20% of the kids in Tucson and Pima County are enrolled in high-quality early childhood education. So Strong Start Tucson became Prop 204, and at that point it would have provided scholarships for city kids. Um, it has now become the Pima County Preschool Investment Project, and what it would do is do a similar thing for Pima County kids. Um, we have about 27,000 three- and four-year-olds in Tucson and in Pima County, and um, about half of them live under the poverty level. So it would provide scholarships for high-quality early education for all the um, 13,000 kids who live below 200% of poverty level. And for a family of four, that's about $49,000. Where does the money come from for this? The money will come from the county. There's also an effort to make it a public-private partnership. And um, so commitments from the U of A, from United Way, from Southern Arizona Leadership Council, and we're seeking additional commitments so that it really, so everybody has some skin in the game. You talk about quality early education. What is quality early education versus everything else that's going on? Fortunately, in Arizona, we have an excellent quality rating system through the First Things First program. So that's one thing. Head Start is also considered high quality. And also um, any um, program that has a national accreditation. And all the research has shown that the benefits that accrue to children and communities only accrue when it's high quality. When it's just kids watching television or just being babysat, they aren't going to get those tools for later success. You mentioned Head Start. How does this program differ from Head Start, which so many people are familiar with? Head Start is a marvelous program. It's uh, funded through the federal government, and there's a huge waiting list for it. That's the difference, is that this would accommodate kids who just are on the waiting list and will be in college by the time they get off that waiting list. Do we have enough capacity within high-quality early education schools or, or centers here in Pima County to handle all the kids who could qualify for this? No. We don't. Um, if all those 13,000 children showed up on day one, there would not be enough places for them to go, which is why we're talking about a ramp up. Um, we have certainly enough capacity to absorb a lot more kids um, than are um, currently in high quality. And we firmly believe, and um, when the subsidies for childcare disappeared in 2009 statewide, lots of centers went out of business. That are, we are sure that as soon as kids come with a scholarship, those centers will jump back into the market. Market. Also, um, the, uh, virtually all the public schools that serve Pima County are eager to get into the process. Um, the superintendents completely understand the value for them in having kids who are ready for kindergarten, and they have some empty classrooms. So they're just ready to jump right into that market. So I don't think it will be hard to create capacity. There's some capacity out there already, and I think some new, a lot of new will come very quickly. You mentioned in 2009, state subsidies drastically were reduced. 
Why were they reduced? Was it just part of that whole recession budget cutting? It was part of the whole recession budget cutting, and it's never f restored. Um, now there's a long, long waiting list. Actually, the waiting list is not as long as it used to be. Partly a few kids came on, but basically it was a wait forever list, and people just dropped off. Um, there is a very, very small percentage of working families who are eligible for state subsidies at all, and the state subsidies are based on 19-year-old market survey. So they're so far out of date, even where those kids who get them, they are paying less than half of the actual cost of high quality. When it comes to the Pima County Preschool Investment Program, you said it has to go before the Board of Supervisors. Now there's politics involved. What are you hearing in your conversations and on the street, if you will, about the chances of this getting through the board? The street sounds very positive. The board, uh, Richard Elias, supervisor, has been a champion from the very, very first. The other members, um, I think, need to hear from their constituents that this is something that they want. All of them truly understand the value of early childhood education, but the county does have competing demands. If this passes, this will fully cover the cost? It's not a... 50% or 75% uh, of tuition, it covers the whole cost. Yes, it's, it pays for the entire cost. Since every single kid will be below 200% of the poverty level, so if you have a family at 49 thousand dollars. They can't afford ten thousand dollars a year. There's no point in asking for a um, copay that would then disqualify the child. This pays the whole way. Assuming best case outcome with the Board of Supervisors, they, they say, yes, this is a great idea, and they, and they give you what you're asking for. When do kids start going to school? Um, I don't know how much you've been involved in um, intergovernmental arrangements. The budget passes July 1, and um, we would hope to have those contracts and intergovernment memos in place before July 1 when the money could flow. But I'm guessing it would be a little slower than that. That was Penelope Jacks of Strong Start Tucson. This week, we're talking about efforts to increase access and affordability of quality early childhood education in Pima County. After Prop 204 failed, Strong Start Tucson held community conversations to address the concerns of those who opposed the measure. One of those voices was the Southern Arizona Leadership Council. Steve Lynn of SALC says his group is not opposed to education. The no on Prop 204 campaign was more complicated than that. When 204 was introduced, there were some things that were problematic about it, not the least of which was that it was a city-only proposition. And the kids who are most in need of this kind of early childhood intervention live throughout the county and certainly in South Tucson. And so that was one of the problems. The other problem, frankly, was that it would have produced $50 million a year and set up a bureaucracy to deal with that $50 million. We didn't think the bureaucracy was A, necessary, or B, appropriate, since there's an organization in the state that does this kind of thing regularly and would continue to do it on contract if they were asked. But the way 204 was written, they were actually precluded from being the agency that oversaw the program. So here we are a few years later with the Pima County Preschool Investment Program. You all are now big supporters of it. So what changed? Well, right after the, the defeat of the initiative, we began dialogue with Strong Start Tucson, the supporters of the initiative, 
to make sure they knew that SALC was not in any way, shape, or form opposed to early childhood. That was not our problem. Our problem was structural with the way the initiative was designed. And so we thought if we begin talking about a better design, we could move forward and either get one of the entities locally to fund it, or in the alternate, if we had to, we'd go back out to the public and really run a, a, a combined campaign that would be supportive and get people to uh, pay for it one way or the other. What does early childhood education bring to the business community? Southern Arizona leadership deals a lot with the business community. What does your average company get out of early childhood? Obviously, they're not hiring those little kids, at least not yet. No, but when you look at economic development for any organizational uh, structure, whether it's the city, the county, the state, the nation, for that matter, if you don't invest early in children's education, you don't get the product on the other end of the process that you're looking for. When we talk about economic development, we talk about having a workforce that is desirable and available to companies who come into the community. In this state, we have a number of children every year who drop out of school at one level or another, and a lot of that can be traced back to not getting a good start in education at the beginning of their process. What we do know is that children who go through a quality early childhood experience do better in school from kindergarten forward. They usually read at grade level by grade three. They usually do math at grade level by grade five, and they are much more likely to graduate secondary school and go on either to community college or a training program or a four-year university, which then puts them in the job market trained and ready to be hired. Now, it's a long-term investment, no question about it. And, and one of the problems that we have with any program of this kind is we can show you what we're doing, but the proof is going to be a generation from now when we have a much lower dropout rate for the kids who are particularly difficult because of poverty and when they're much more staying in the workforce and ready to be hired uh, in whatever industries or, or services are in Tucson at that time. One of the groups supporting this this time around is law enforcement across the board. And some people may find that surprising that law enforcement is getting involved in education. Well, when we talk to the sheriff, who has been very supportive here in, in Pima County, or the police department, or the county prosecutor, what they tell us is a couple of things. First, they know that children who are having trouble in school and are often subject to a dropout situation get into trouble. And they get into trouble in many ways, but they often wind up in the juvenile justice system. The other thing we know to be true, and this is a startling fact to me, the companies that provide private prisons across the country use one very important statistic in figuring out how many prison beds they'll need in the future. Third grade reading level. Now you will say, how do they know that somebody struggling at third grade is going to eventually wind up to be one of the needs, one of the customers that they will serve with a private prison? But the fact of the matter is, there's a direct link between reading at third grade, math at fifth grade, graduation at 12th grade, and being either a part of the society or doing things that would get you into trouble. When it comes to all of this, money is involved. 
county budget's tight. How do you convince the Board of Supervisors that this is where they need to spend their money when people are yelling about potholes and all kinds of other things? It's not the easiest sell in the world because there's no immediate gratification. And until we've gone out into the community and really kind of built a coalition, which we are doing, there isn't this popular sense that it's as important as some of the other things that the county soups might be looking at. I think this kind of a program will say something to the community that the county needs to say, which is, we really do care about people. This is not just about getting more money for ourselves. This is the kind of expenditure that turns out to be an investment. When we do a good job with these children and get them into school ready to succeed, we may not have to spend another dollar in retrofitting or remedial education or special needs because they're on, on track to be a, a good student and graduate. That was Steve Lynn of the Southern Arizona Leadership Council. The Arizona Daily Star's editorial board was also opposed to Prop 204 and was also part of the postmortem discussion. They're now strongly behind the new Pima County Preschool Investment Plan. In addition, editorial board members Sarah Garrett-Gasson and Luis Carrasco explored how other communities make this work. I asked Sarah to explain their reporting. We took apart kind of what are some lessons that we can learn because we wanted to make sure that we understood what was available, what had worked elsewhere, and try to come up with some recommendations and information to kind of guide the discussion here. So we went to Salt Lake City, we went to Seattle, San Antonio, those were Luis's. I went to Cincinnati and to Raleigh and um, Charlotte's in North Carolina. So what we found was a variety of ways that early childhood education has has been approached. And in some places like Seattle, it has been sort of voter approved so long that it's just sort of part of the fabric of the community. What I learned in North Carolina was really interesting in that North Carolina, about 25 years ago, uh, their governor, Governor Hunt, made early childhood education his priority. And so North Carolina has had what's called NC Pre-K for four-year-olds for years. Um, it is for very low-income kids. Uh, there's not enough slots for everyone who needs it. But it is in every single one of the state's 100 counties, and it's locally run. And it receives state money, it receives some local money often, and um, so that's just sort of kind of a baseline. Uh, what Where I was in Charlotte with uh, Mecklenburg County, they decided a couple years ago to really invest in early childhood education. They opened up the economic window a little bit. So uh, instead of just 200% of federal poverty level, it goes up to 220%. So for a family of four, that's $55,000, give or take. So which seems like a lot, but high quality childcare is really expensive. So what they did was decide the state has something to offer the school district has something to offer, but we want something that we control that expands to more kids. And the key with uh, Mecklenburg County and Charlotte was 
the support of the business community. And their uh, county commissioners voted to devote some millions of dollars to their effort and they're building on it and it, what a legacy that is for their their commissioners. What can Pima County take away from these? When I spoke with the county manager in Mecklenburg County, uh, what what we can learn from them is they made the very wise, I think, decision to go through their county commission and do a sales tax, or I'm sorry, not do a sales tax, property tax. Do it that way because, as they said, it's a lot easier to convince a majority of the commissioners than it is to try to get half a million people to say yes to a tax increase. It really sounds like, to a large degree, there is no one-size-fits-all. The overall concept is there, but it has to be tailored to the individual communities. Right, absolutely, because in San Antonio, they do have a sales tax that needs to be renewed. Um, they went with, uh, they have some centers, some child care centers that they put together specifically for, for this program. Um, in Cincinnati, the landscape is a little different. They, they partnered with uh, their local school district for a school bond uh, program that will need to be renewed every couple years. And so the partnership there is different because it's with the, and this is a lesson for Pima County, and their, the Pima County plan addresses this, so I think that's great. Uh, one of the things that Cincinnati has run into is that the because it's tied with the school district, the tuition subsidies that follow the kids only cover school year, school day. I mean, if you're a family who needs child care, you need it year-round and you need it all day. So uh, that is something that they are running into kind of funding short, not a shortfall, but it's not stretching as, as much as they thought it would. And that, thank goodness, is something that the Pima Initiative, this new one, um, from what I've seen, has already addressed. The Star Editorial Board also has that watchdog function. So are there certain metrics you're looking for? So five years down the road, you look back at it and say, this is working, or no, it's not working. Yeah, I think something that will be really important is to make sure that in whatever whatever iteration this ends up being, that there is, and it was one of our complaints about the first go-around, that there was no sunset. So if something goes through the Pima County budget, for example, it comes up regularly for renewal. Um, and I think absolutely anything that is of a scope like this needs to have realistic, attainable, and valuable uh, metrics in there to know, is it working? That was Sarah Garrett Gasson with the Arizona Daily Star editorial board. The Star has identified early childhood education as an issue of importance to the community and will be running a series of op-eds on the subject in the coming weeks. And that's the buzz for this week. Ariana Brocious produced and edited the show. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer, and Andrea Kelly is the news director. Our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening.
Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.